Hello and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, it's wetter than an otter's pocket out there today. I nearly crashed about 15 times on the way back on the motorway. People driving like morons. Um, my little Citroen DS3 struggling significantly in the rain. Loads of trucks just seemingly just try to overtake you. And I'm like, what are you doing in outside lane? What's going on? I mean, they shouldn't be in the outside lane anyway. And I don't know what's happened in recent years with uh, trucks, but the spray is insane. You drive past a truck on a night like this when it's raining, and it's literally like a fucking hurricane, isn't it, as you drive past? It it's like going past so Jamie Carragher. Yeah. It's like him ridiculous. spitting in your car. Yeah. Uh, um, Max, um, who's previously been on an episode of the Tapping Up podcast, he's a, a lorry driver, I believe. Obviously, we know of his exploits that he does in the back of said lorries, which we can't go into too much detail for legal reasons. But um, he drives lorries, and he is a very stereotypical lorry driver and what you would expect from those type of people who will overtake you and try to murder you on the, the motorway. You do surprise me, having met Mark a number of times, that it is not a remote surprise in the slightest that he is a stereotypical lorry driver that stops at um, gas stations or services or whatever and probably knocks one out and goes in and wanks off other truck, truck, truck drivers. That would be Mark all over, I would have thought. I mean, I didn't say that, but, you know, let, let your imagination run wild there. Um, he listens to TalkSpot a lot, so maybe that's like a, a trucker thing. I listen to a lot of talk sport when I'm not listening to podcasts or audiobooks. I mean, I, I don't couldn't tell you the last time I listened to music on the radio. I certainly don't do that. But um, I'm, I'm into me audiobooks at the moment, so I'm smashing those instead of podcasts when I'm in the motor. That is the elderliest thing you've ever said in your life. Mate, when you're on a accumulation of knowledge to better yourself, there is no shame in that. And you could take a leaf out of my book by bettering yourself instead of listening to the nonsense shit music that you listen to. Listen to some fucking audio books that I've told you about and they'll make you a better person and a better professional. The only accumulation and bettering I do is at three o'clock on a Saturday when I am winning much much money from uh, all these different betting accounts that I've got. Um, anyway, <laughs> UFC Fight Night. We covered it very, very briefly uh, last week. It was one of those where, as with every fight night, it doesn't really have anything to uh, ride home about. But in all fairness, this was one of the better fight nights in terms of the card, in terms of the build-up. Everything else has been completely thrown away this year. Um, didn't watch it. Of course, it's at a ridiculous time for us in the UK. Did watch the highlights. Um, there are a few things definitely worth talking about. Bobby Green being one of them. We'll get on to that. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, we might as well start with the, uh, the, the headliner. And again, I'll be honest with you, um, I had a, a busy weekend. Um, gets towards Christmas, you start to have a little bit less time. And on Sunday... Um, I had other things uh, I was doing. Uh, someone in Claire's family uh, had a birthday. So it's the first time for a while. I'll be honest, I actually haven't watched any of the fights. Uh, I've seen highlights of the main uh, four fights, but I, I haven't watched it, which is the first time for me for a long time. So I can't lie. So my perspective that we're going to talk about now is very much um, 
filtered through the highlights and you never know how accurate or not the highlights are in that respect. But if we look at uh, the main event of uh, Dario Berriush versus Arnhem, I'm not going to pronounce his surname. Um, very impressive win for Arnhem. Um, he's had 10 fights in the UFC. Um only two losses during that period. He lost to Islam in his very first fight. Clearly no shame in that. Uh, the fight for me that kind of halts or should halt the hype train that now all of a sudden within a week seems to be behind him and he's the next lightweight champion and Islam's challenger is he also lost to Gamrot. And Gamrot, whilst is a pretty decent fighter, he is not the elite of the elite. So... Um, I feel he's ranked number four now in the in in the lightweight rankings. Before people get too carried away, he's got to fight one of the big boys. So for me, the next obvious fight, and neither of them have a fight lined up. And actually, you could argue this would be a good fight to chuck on to uh, 300, because again, we keep discussing this, but he's got to be against Poirier or Gagey next for me. They're three and um, two in the rankings um, uh, below Islam. And that would be uh, a very good measuring stick and yardstick in terms of how good he actually is. Still a young lad, I think, is in 25, I think 26 or 27, which to be at the the level he's at is is young. But um, the, the, the hype I've suddenly seen people jumping on and saying he's ready to take Islam, he can beat Islam far far too early for that for me well, i mean it's still an impactful win for him um it was i think it was roughly about it was like 60 seconds in the first round so it's it's impressive in that sense and the knockout is actually worth watching it's, it's one of those where he'd said that we were going to knock him out all fighters do obviously he does knock him out he was very respectful at the end which i always like to see but yeah it, it was impressive I agree entirely. He has to have a bigger fight. I don't want to see him fight Gagey. That's not interesting to me. Gagey sparks him. And I want Gagey to defend the BMF against someone maybe on 300. So that should be his next fight. Chandler I could see, but I think Chandler beats him as well. I'm not a massive fan of Armin. I don't think he's going to go with the top. I appreciate his two losses being Gamrot and, and Islam. And obviously Islam, you essentially just disregard that loss because Islam is such a, a higher class in comparison to everyone else in that division. Um, it's the, ga- it's yeah. the Gamrot loss for me. That, you know, Gamrot yeah. is a very, very good fighter, but I, I, I'm not entirely sure, I've got to be honest, where Gamrot ranked, he's probably seven or eight, if I had to take a guess. Um, but that certainly should halt his progress. And apart from Islam, the three you've obviously got above him that personally I say loses to all three is Oliveira, Gagey, Poirier. Don't see him putting on a clinic in terms of what he did to Darius. Put, trying to do that to those three fighters is a completely different kettle of fish. You imagine him coming out like that against Gagey. Gagey's going to be absolutely in his element he's going to love nothing more than someone trying to immediately come for him and try to knock him out in the first minute of the fight only problem you got with gage is who is there and i know we have kind of touched on this before but who is there that is deserving of fighting gagey for the bmf i i, I can't really think of anyone personally that 
I want to see at the moment that comes out and deserves to fight for that. I mean, the only one that... Could you say he's a bad motherfucker? Not really, but he's going to be money in the bank and would make a lot of sense from a UFC perspective. Connor. And I'd love to see that fight because I love Connor, but... That is a bad matchup, and I would say Connor Sparks gets sparked by Gagey relatively easily, personally. That'd be a horrific shame, and I definitely wouldn't really enjoy watching that. Um, Gagey said back in October that his next fight is Islam, and he says that he's going to knock out Islam as well. So whether that's being built up potentially um, around 300, wherever that's going to be, I know that we've discussed potentially putting an actual title line with the BMF on the line as well, and whether they'll they'll do that or whether they'll bother with that or whether they'll just say, look, we want to keep the BMF completely separate to the main title. It would be difficult then to have someone holding both titles at the same time because at what point do you say, right, I just want to fight for BMF, but not the actual title, or I just want to fight for the actual title, yeah, not the BMF. I, I, personally, I, I think he's the next challenger for the title. To take the BMF out of it. He should be fighting it. We have One thing I would say is we have seen... Uh, particularly against Volk, we have seen that as much as Islam has that Khabib-esque smothering top game and a pretty good chin, we have seen him get rocked. And if anyone has got the ability to rock you, it's fucking Justin Gagey. And the other thing I would love to see how Islam would deal with is Gagey's leg kicks because they are the, the most savage for me personally in the whole of the UFC in terms of what, apart from Paratang's calf kicks, um, he, he's he's the master of the calf kick. Um, uh, Gagey is far more of a traditional leg kick in terms of the thighs, uh, kicking you in the thigh and sapping that ability for you to stand and come forward. And I think Gay, it's one of those fights that Gagey either does really well and performs particularly well, or Islam grabs him, takes him down, smothers him, chokes him out pretty quickly and completely exposes Gagey in terms of his ground game compared to his absolutely outstanding stand-up skills. So, Like Oliveira did it, didn't he, in 2022? He took him out in first round, first round submission. So that might be Gagey's next. Uh, after that, he might want to avenge that loss with Oliveira. Obviously, we don't know if Oliveira... Um, is going to move forward with the Islam fight uh, at one point with everything that was happening with the, the cancellation and obviously Volk stepping in. So we'll see on it. Uh, we'll certainly see on it. What I do want to point out, and we, we have to cover this, is the Bobby Green fight because we had a quick discussion about this earlier today. It, I don't know. We need to look at In fact, while you're doing this, I'm going to find out who the referee I was. I don't want to see him refereeing another MMA fight ever again. I mean, we joke about it. We sometimes say these things, but these guys are putting their, to some degree, their lives on the line. Uh, you know, there's not going to be many UFC fighters that get involved in stand-up wars that later down the line don't get CTE. That That is is a sad indictment of what MMA is in the same way that you see it with uh, American football, the hits that they're having, the padding is a complete misnomer, makes people think, oh, they're protected, but the fucking 300-pound guy smashing into you, they all get fucked. Um, uh, And in this one, so Green goes down, 
he hits the deck. He took 17 unanswered punches on the floor from Turner before the ref stopped it. It is probably the worst, at least top three worst pieces of refereeing I've ever seen in terms of how he, he, he could have stopped, stepped in after three or four punches. Green is flat out, face first down, and those punches are just getting rained down on him. And he took an appalling amount of damage that was completely unnecessary. And as much as we often say that there's early stoppages, uh, you know, Prohaska, give him a chance to fight on, that type of thing. 17 unanswered punches. I will tell you now that has caused an element of brain damage. I'm no doctor. Yeah. That is not good for you. Where, whether it's going to be an immediate effect or whether it's going to be later down the line, Absolutely. If someone rock, walks around to your house now, knocks on your door, knocks you down to the floor, you're like, oh, what's going on? And then just punches you another 16 times in the head. It's going to cause a significant issue. And these are, are trained professionals. It's not like someone on a night out has caught you, which would be bad enough. These are people who train extensively. The power behind the punches is unrivaled in terms of the what, what they do for a living and what they do to people who are on the ground. I've just had a look. It's Kerry Hatley is the the name of the referee. Uh, Dana White actually came out and said that it was one of the worst stoppages he's ever seen. So he agrees with us. Um, I don't think a single person in the MMA community has accepted that uh, there's no fault there for Kerry Hatley. I, I think everyone has widely panned it and essentially said that it's completely out of order. All it takes is for a referee to do that, one or two more punches might have been fatal. And I know it sounds really dramatic, but that's as as simple as it can get. These types of people rely on the referees to step in. They rely on the officials to protect them. He's lost the fight. He's down. He's out. The referee needs to stop it. You can stop it probably, what, 10, you know, 12, 13 punches earlier than that at the very least. I get the speed and I get the action, but it should have been finished far earlier. It, would have hard it, to it, watch it, it definitely should. The only thing I would, I'm, I'm going to slightly disagree with you that, Purely because That's unusual. Pos- purely because of the position that Bobby Green was in, in that he was face first and his face was actually face down, the punches are to the side of the head. Now, that's not in any way taken away from the extra damage that can be done, but and you're still rattling the brain, you're still causing a massive amount of damage. Um, the the point I'm disagreeing on with you, I, I don't think that could have been fatal. I, I, I think it, it will have a lasting effect, but I don't think anyone's dying from that personally. It, literally, your temple is right next to where he's punched it. So all it takes is for one of those. You, the amount of times that you see on a night out, for example, or in the news where someone has been caught by an unexpected punch and then the down. But I don't this know what it's like in Ponty, but how many fucking scraps <laughs> have you seen where someone's taken un- 17 unfucking answered punches they on only the floor? Take one or I've two. never seen it. This is what I'm saying. They only take one or two, and sometimes one punch can kill. And there was the whole, I think West Yorkshire Police did a big thing about that, but that's what I'm saying. So one or two extra punches could be absolutely fail after you've just taken 15 on the floor. It's, yeah, it, it was really difficult to watch. It's not one of those where it's like, Oh God, <laughs> that's that's unlucky, isn't it? A silly ref, he's jumped into a, it. One of those where you just like, ref, you've got to stop this. What what's going no, on? I mean, it's in the highlights, way. I'm shouting at the ref, like, come on, stop it! What, the, what are you doing? Like, like, like again, I'm I'm all for. I, I think 
there shouldn't be a distinction. But in my mind, anyway, as a fan, there's a slight distinction when it's a championship fight. Personally, because the championship is on the line, I'm more inclined to say, give them more of a chance to recover. So I'm quite happy to see, let's say, three or four more punches that might be stopped earlier in a championship fight because I think you need to give the champion or the challenger the chance to recover. So I don't know why, and it shouldn't matter, but that does matter in my humble opinion. But 17 unanswered punches is just ridiculous. And the way Dana is, let's be fair, Dana's got many faults, but he doesn't pull his own punches without any, um, you know, sort of pun there. I can't see that guy refereeing in the UFC again. No, I, I agree. I feel like they won't make a big song dance out of it, but I don't think you'll see him for, if not indefinitely um, taken out, he will be out for a long period of time. And then they might ease him back him in to some other fight nights, etc. because it'll bring too much controversy. Too many people will be watching it saying, right, okay, here he is, the killer ref again. Uh, it's the equivalent then... of the old, uh, I mean, maybe it's not the equivalent, but trying to find an analogy, it's like the old uh, VAR refs, isn't it? When they make a fucking horrendous decision and the next week the Premier League are like, right, take that guy off. He's dropping him to the championship. He's not having a game. That could happen. But the way, the passion that I saw Dana say, look, this is unacceptable for a fighter's health. And Bobby Green is a tough motherfucker. The fact that he was able to do that and still get up and, you know, be okay is is a testament to how tough, tough a motherfucker he is. That had been someone different. I wouldn't say fatal in your words, but it definitely could have been considerably more serious and caused someone a long stay in hospital for sure. I mean, all I can think now, just while you were talking there, is the equivalent of VAR rest being taken out of it. But I can just imagine someone like, I don't know, Harland running up to someone and just like clubbing him back at head, going after Van Dyke and just scrapping. And then referee just letting it go. Whoa, it's, it's not Van Dyke would fuck him up. I tell you what, that's a bad fight for Harland. Yeah, for sure. No. No, Van Dyke's all posture. I think he'd get absolutely sparked. I think I could Van, Van Dyke is in the top three hardest players in the Premier League. Just no, on, 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 not. All right, t- tell me who's harder. Tell me, me? who's harder. You're me not in the Premier one. League, so that's bullshit. That's what you start. think. Um, uh, harder players. Maguire would knock out Van Dyke. Only because only, only, only if he headbutted him with exactly. his fucking slab head. But I always remember. It's funny you say this. This was a game me and my mates, my mates used to actually play at school, which was who are the hardest fighters if they had a fight. We always came down to in the era that I was at school, Sol Campbell, Duncan Ferguson. That was always like the top two, and everyone was like Duncan Ferguson was the number one. This is a man that took on three people invading his home and beat the fuck out of him. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find ever a harder footballer than Duncan Ferguson. Roy Keane? Duncan Ferguson fucks him up all day. (laughs) Roy Roy Keane would be in the conversation, but Ferguson's a different animal, mate. He was huge as well. Keane wasn't the biggest. Ferguson, for me, is the top of the tree of any footballer I can remember as a kid to now being the hardest. The only other one that I would say could be 
you'd say in terms of physique and you think, Jesus, that motherfucker looks like he could scrap would be uh, Treore because his arms are as thick as my legs. He is built like a tank. Weirdly, um, in terms of FIFA stats, I'm pretty sure Treore is like the 25th strongest player in the Premier League at this point in time. Um, The top is almost certainly, I think it's Haaland and Van Dijk. I think they're the top two. But then it's like Kurt Zuma or someone like that is uh, is third. So it's, it's a bit weird. Well, but that, in regards to that. Kurt Zuma's really hard against cats. With cats, yeah. It just boots a cat. I think John McGinn is a, a proper sort of Fuck underrated. Off. Yeah. A Scottish bloke. Tiny little jock. Works he in would have field. you. I'm telling I'd, you. I'd choke him out in a minute. John, if you're listening... Set up, come down to the mats. Let's have a little fucking wrestling match. I'll lay you out. That would be one of the funniest things ever because I actually think John McGinn might murder you. He seems like one of those people that will have a few drinks. He'll be having some tenants. Um, getting. I mean, he's definitely on the special bruise, but you need to put that crack pipe down, mate. He's nowhere near a Virgil or Virgil and Harland for me would be the top two, I would say, in terms of strength. And physiques. I mean, they're both monstrous guys, aren't they? Six four, six five, and strong as fuck. So they would probably be the top two. But we're going off tangent. Um, anything else for you on UFC Fight Night? No. Um, the only two fights really worth mentioning, um, and one of them because of the the refereeing uh, decision. But the the build up to UFC two nine six has started. Uh, we're starting to get more of. Mr. Covington coming into the press, talking absolute nonsense, as we would expect. Um, Edwards obviously responding. The build-up will get significantly stronger in the next few weeks, and certainly, obviously, we'll do the full um, detailed breakdown on it next week as well. I I think he's talking too much for game. I I know it's what he does, and I know this is the reason that he does it. He tries to get in people's head. I don't think Edwards will bite. I think Edwards will just spark him. Well, I, I, the only thing I'd say is what I hate about Colby is he has this, obviously, we know it's a persona now. It's it's long been outed that he had to put this on in order to not get cut. And actually, most people actually say who actually know him, he's actually quite a decent guy. He's completely different to the, he's the most, uh, the equivalent of a wrestling heel, you would say, in the UFC. Puts on this stupid act, plays the bad guy wants people to dislike him to get the fanfare and get sort of interest in him. But he is an underrated fighter as well. He's a very volumeless puncher. He's not got the most power in the world. He's a very good wrestler. Um, That's the concern for me against Edwards is his wrestling. I think Edwards can take everything he can throw at him. I think Edwards, if Edwards can take a punch and take um, the blows from Usman, he can certainly take the power of Colvington, no problem. But if Colvington plays the game plan for me, if I'm Colvington's coach, is Edward's clearest weakness is his wrestling. Lay and pray, grind out a five-round decision that is going to be ugly to watch and disgusting in terms of no one's going to want to see that and everyone would moan about it. But it's about winning this this sport. and And that's my concern is... How well does Edwards deal with the wrestling ability of Colvington? That's the key key element for me. 
Yeah, he's definitely he's a pressure wrestler. Um, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. And again, we don't want to take up too much time talking about it because we'll definitely do a deep dive next week. But it, my favourite thing that Edwards has come out and said is he's basically criticised uh, Colby and said, look, he hasn't beaten anyone under the age of like 35 in God knows when. Um, people were saying, well, you've got, you know, he's beaten Lawler, he's beaten Woodley, he's beaten Masvidal. But if you're judging him on those performances, then I just think that Edwards is going to come out and completely dominate him. Um, one of the things that he said, I think Edwards has come out and said that uh, Colby had said something along the lines of, I'll come back for the war that happened in America. And Edwards had come out and said, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you're just a clown. It's just the best way to deal with him is to completely ignore the nonsense and shite of his chaos character and just go into the, the octagon and just take him out, which I think he will do comfortably. But again, without... And this is what we talked about. That, that, that's the best way to deal with it from a psychological point of view that Colvingen is is trying to be a McGregor and take that psychological warfare to the next level, get in someone's head. The best thing that you can possibly do with um Colvington is just ignore it concentrate on your own game don't bite don't get angry don't get agitated so you 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 rush him I mean I look at uh um I always think a great example of someone who got inside someone's head and look how it ended are you gonna say elder no no I wasn't gonna say that 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 is one I was gonna say Masvidal Askren yeah, and no, that's a good that, point. look at that. Masvidal played that. Look at this. What's going to happen? Charged him, bang, flying knee. Five seconds, it's done. So the best thing Edwards can do, and we said, I said this two or three podcasts ago. Block Edwards on social media. Ban any talk in the camp about what he's saying, what nonsense he's he's saying. He's the type that would start bringing up shit about your wife and your family and all that. Just ignore it. Concentrate on your own game. And if Edwards brings his A game and doesn't get sucked into that psychological warfare, he is the better fighter and he should win, in my opinion. Um, just on the note, did you see uh, Colby's suit that he uh, busted out with? Uh, so he's, had, he's got this kind of, I suppose, the best colour. I mean, you're better with colours. We've discussed this with you slightly feminine way, but let's call it yellow and red. And it's a yellow and red suit. And on the back, it's got Donald Trump. Uh, and obviously, he's a massive Trump fan in the um, Colby. He's always wearing the MAGA hats. And tr- he's, he's, he's got Trump to agree to attend the event. So what I would love, nothing more, if the, we don't want to see Colvington get laid out anyway, I want to see him get laid out in front of Trump. And then what I want to see is Edwards jump on the cage where Trump is and just point down at him. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. I just sparked just out your boy. I'm just looking at the, the colour. I would say it's sort of like a, a champagne peach or a, maybe a, a bit towards the heather peach or a peachy orange. Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think it's, it's along those lines? The kind of thing a straight man would really say, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but is uh, that? Yeah, I've just looked. Have, that you, seen, have you seen? Have you seen? The kind of picked. It's not even like a picture of Trump, is it? It's like a weird. Can you see? Have you seen the back of it? So it's on the back. If you can yeah, get okay. a picture of it, it's like a it. sort of split, weird type sort of suit. But um, 
I mean, obviously, it's pretty cool to have the former president of the UF, uh, of, of the USA in your corner saying, I want you to win just because he's always bumming Trump himself. But hopefully he gets bummed in front of Trump. He can uh, put it over his head, can't he, when he loses um, and he can try and hide in his little shitty jacket. I think it's a piss take of the, I can't remember the original, but Obama did one where it was like red and blue and it's imposed and it looks like that. But, but again, if you're talking about mental warfare, the best thing to do would be if I'm Edwards, I get a copy of that suit. And the first thing I do when I lay Covington out and while the belt's getting put around my waist is I put that suit jacket on and then it's like, fuck you both. Not only I'd put my own both. face on it. Well, true. Yeah, you could do that. Or, or you could do a picture of... Colvington getting laid out by Edwards on the back. <laughs> that would be quite a nice touch. But yeah, I think that's um we'll 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 leave that one there because we'll go into the full breakdown next week before the uh event. But the the shit talk is definitely gonna build up over the next week or so for sure as it ramps up. Yeah, I had to unfortunately take out of, of last week's episode. I, I couldn't let Ian talk as much as he wanted to do because of the fact that the alcohol was flowing very very freely um anyone that's listened to that will have got a very good laugh at uh rum ian but we didn't talk about mike perry uh, and eddie alvarez and i apologize for that it is entirely my fault um and the bare knuckle fc uh, event and there was if i'm right in saying this a belt for the you cancelled me didn't you you cancelled i me, did but, uh, i did um... Yeah, uh, Platinum Mike Perry, who is a monster of a man. And again, this is, I suppose, Bare Knuckles version of the BMF. You can't beat BMF, but he won the belt of the King of Violence, is uh, what it was called. Um, and again, as, as fights go, it was a decent fight because Alvarez was put a very good first round in and was was tuning him up to some degree, putting some 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 good punches in. Uh, Perry came out in the second round, just put on a clinic and laid him out. And there's just something about Mike Perry that I can't really put my finger on it, but his skill set is literally perfect for bare-knuckle boxing. Yeah. He's an animal anyway, which you need to be to, to take on that sport. He's got a granite chin. He's got hands of stone so he can throw bombs but he's also got his power absolutely dialed in so that he can throw those bombs to the maximum extent possible but without throwing too hard that he breaks his hands which I know is what many people do when they get to that point but uh, in terms of skill sets and the way that someone has adapted to bare knuckle FC Perry is the number one, and for me, I know it's early days, it's probably taught, if there was a Mount Rushmore of bare-knuckle boxing in the future, Platinum Mike Perry will 100% be on it. Undoubtedly, yeah. The, the way that he's taken to the sport is unbelievable, really. And it's one of those where, I love my Um Obviously, since starting this podcast, it's become something that we keenly keep his eye on consistently. It's something that I've grown into since we first obviously started about August last year, August 2022. But even watching this, you sit back and you're like, yeah, happy to watch people box, uh, happy to watch people get 
kicked in head. I'm happy to watch people get choked out. But when you put bare knuckle FC on, you sit there and you're like, oh, oh, fucking hell, he's, he's properly smacking him. Oh, I can hear the sound. Oh, this is horrible to watch. Oh, oh, he's, is he dead? No, he's all right. No, oh, he's broke his wrist. Oh, he's, he's broke his cheekbone. It's so brutal. It is unbelievably brutal. And like you say, people like Mike Perry sometimes, yeah, pick it up easy as oh, and he seems to be the king of bare knuckle FC at this point in time. I, I, whilst I don't disagree with everything you said there, uh, for me, what one of the things I love about MMA that then transitions into bare knuckle boxing is it's gladiatorial in back in the days. And the whole point of MMA really is who's the hardest person. And MMA has rule sets. You have gloves. They are certain things that get in the way of what would happen if you had two guys in a street fight. And that's what I like personally about bare knuckle FC. That's the closest you'll get to a sanctioned street fight. So as in, if you have two guys in the street, pissed up, came out, mouthing off about each other, fighting over a a, a bird or something like that, that's the closest you'll see to a legitimate, genuine fight. No, you know, of course there are rules, you know, what you can and can't do, but the fact that there's no gloves makes a massive difference. And I think people have been calling for it for years What's it like? What, you know, how does that affect MMA? Is, would MMA be better? And all it shows is actually I've gone the other way where I was a big proponent. I can't deny I very much follow Rogan's philosophy here, which was I was super keen to see like the UFC take gloves away. There's no gloves on your elbows. There's no gloves on your knees. and There's no gloves on your feet. And you can you can use all of those. Why there, should there be gloves on your hands? But the cuts that happen and get sustained from bare knuckles is absolutely brutal. And I think it's been an eye opener watching the sport evolve, how fucked up people's faces get when you're talking about bare knuckles. The closest that I've ever, I ever came to watching bare knuckle boxing or anything like that is uh, Rocky Balboa taking on Tommy Gunn in the uh, the street fight at the end of Rocky 5 and I'm sat there thinking the worst Rocky by on, the way the, the the worst Rocky it's absolutely atrocious is that film um, as much as I do love Rocky but yeah they make it look so easy and then obviously he sparks him at the end and he's like yeah I'm, I'm better and I've lost all my money because I'm about to get sued but um, I think even Mike Perry would have a chance against that Rocky Balboa in Rocky 5 to be honest Fuck, I'm telling you, Mike, Mike Perry sparks the fuck out of Rocky Balboa. And that, there's not, <laughs> I don't think there's a person yet that has transitioned, even at other dip weights. Mike Perry could take them all. Mike Perry is the ultimate bare knuckle fighter at the moment. Everything, the way he trains, everything he's got going, everything his skill set fits perfectly. And you know, when you just, someone who just finds their niche in life, that's his niche. He is superb at it and he should continue it shouldn't go back to mma should carry on and he could probably be something ridiculous like a two or three weight champion i think this was officially at middleweight um one thing i would say about bkfc is there's definitely no roids testing so if you ever see the guys come in they are always absolutely ripped but perry could probably easily fight at middleweight he used to fight at welterweight in the UFC, so he could go down. 
He could fight at light heavyweight, and I wouldn't even be opposed to seeing him fight at heavyweight and be surprised if he didn't knock someone out. So he could absolutely dominate and be a legend of that sport. It's interesting you should say that it was sanctioned as well because or oh, a closest thing to sanctioned street fighting that a sport has. Because if it's not sanctioned and let's say, I don't know, you get in a dispute with your brother and you deck your brother, it don't matter if you're one of the uh, former champions in the UFC, you're probably going to get arrested. And that's what happened to Jamal Hill. Um, it's not very clever, is it, really? I mean, it's not very clever, and I'm certainly not condoning violence in any way, but what kind of cunt of a brother reports their brother to the police when well, they're a professional MMA fighter? It's interesting. I feel, you like, should, I feel uh, like that's a piece of shit move, personally. It's interesting you should say that because it says, and this is reading with regards to the Kentwood Police Department, which is, is it Michigan? I, I don't know. Um, but the alleged dispute... Don't pretend from you argument, fucking know. Fucking Mr. Fucking that. Geography over there. Mr. Fucking Amer- American Geography. That's what I'm asking you. I'm saying, is it Michigan? Give a fuck. Haven't, haven't got um, a clue, mate. Haven't got a clue. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, the alleged dispute stemmed from an argument over whether or not Hill's sister-in-law was to be paid $300 for cleaning Hill's vacant home. The dispute eventually transitioned into uh, other more personal subject matter, according to the report as Hill's brother called out Hill for not texting his own daughter on Thanksgiving and being disrespectful to women. Uh, that's when a shirtless Hill, no idea why he took his shirt off, uh, sucker punched his brother twice in the face while also shoving a female witness. Hill's brother claimed both punches knocked him down with the second one leaving dazed. So he must smack him, gets <laughs> goes down, gets back up, gets floored again. He's like, whoa. Um, it says that his brother had also claimed to the police he was extremely conflicted about contacting them because Jamal is his brother and he didn't want to ruin his fighting career. Well, he's a piece of shit because he's done that. So for that, for a start, um, I'm going to have to take a lead from you here as having a brother. I only have a sister and I'm going to give a shout out to my sister because she's currently in New York. She's 40 in January. So she's out for a nice little trip to New York for her 40th birthday so I've never had that uh, competitive nature that brothers have. But grassing on your brother. That was the biggest pause I've ever what, heard, by the way. Not, like... I, I, I'm trying to think of it in a nice, I was trying to think of it in a nice and articulate way. But when your brother is a former UFC champion, bringing up a dispute about $300 doesn't seem like a very clever move on his part. Would you well, not yeah, agree? Well, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be starting any sort of argument with any former or current champion. Um, as much as we joke about it, you're not going to see me walk up to Islam and be like, oh, you got me that 300 quid, you knob. Because I'm just going to get spat out. Your wife didn't clean my house, Islam, you fucking prick. <laughs> Do you want to yeah. fucking go? You, no, it's thing, not going to happen, is it? Again. It's not going to no. happen. But what I would say is it's family, isn't it? So you're not going to expect to get absolutely flawed by your brother. Obviously, we don't know the relationship between them. We don't know the intricacies. We only know what's been reported in the press. Um, with regards to my brother, no, nah, I'd knock him out. He's, he's soft as shit. So I'm never any worried about that. And I'm the better brother anyway. I'm more loved by the family, you know, more loved by my friends. Um, I'm just the better man, basically. But in more important, be- note, better man, but I, I, I just uh, ruin your bubble there. Your, your brother's a doctor, and he so uh, he smashes you in the earnings. 
He smashes you in the status. Um, and smashes me in the age as well, because he's like um, 19 in comparison to me. But yeah, you, your, your brother might not be able to beat you in a fight, but in life, he's fucking beating your ass. No, he's still got is he 10, 12 years older than me. It's like you. You're much older than me. You're basically on your deathbed at this point. I'm keeping much you going older. With fucking wind your neck in unless you want to get choked out at the Christmas party on Saturday, oh. bitch. <laughs> Scared, scared. Are you going to do what you're 12 years older than me? Um, this party, what can I say? I might put on a little show for the crowd. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. And I'm, I'm not scared about that at all. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of these where we don't know what's going to happen with regards to his career now. We don't know if he's going to press charges on Jamal Hill. We don't know if he's going to go to prison. We don't know if he's going to go like John You'd Jones. You'd hope that sense would prevail. You'd hope that it, 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 it's a family for a start. He's had a big influence on that could have a big influence on his fighting career, which is his chosen profession. You would hope again, we are, we might talk a lot of shit, but you hope that sometimes we talk sense. The sensible thing to do, Jamal Hill apologizes. Look, man, I got a little bit out of hand. It was unnecessary. I really apologize. His brother drops the charges, goes away, there's no issue. But it would be a real shame if a family member was to fuck your livelihood up like that and create you a problem, I would personally say. And not being funny, if I was Jamal Hill and my brother did that and created a problem with my livelihood, I would go and beat the fuck out of him for real. Rather than knock his tooth out, I'm going to knock his fucking head off. So you would hope that sense would prevail, family... uh, values come in here things got heated in the moment they do with families but you would hope sense prevails hill apologizes which clearly he should do if he's been out of order his brother accepts the apology it gets dropped we move on jamal hill Powatang next up for the ufc lightweight uh, light heavyweight championship before we get into the the fixtures for um the weekend just gone we've had some midweek fixtures because it's that amazon prime time of the year festive football is always the best um i've got to make a reference to jürgen klopp because the guy's a knob and since coming into english football and since becoming liverpool's manager his or my opinion of him has drastically decreased uh i think he acts a bit like a spoiled prize a bit like Atta. We're obviously going to go through the fixtures and we're going to... I feel like you're going to try and wind me up here. Did you see his reaction after the Chef United win yesterday? In what respect? In the interview that he did. So Amazon Prime had four people, including Klopp, or three people, including Klopp. I think it were four, uh, all interviewing, talking about the game, talking about the fixtures, talking about what it means, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Usual punditry. But the way that he reacts, as we've seen a number of times, like when he lost against God knows who in European football because you're playing like farmers and stuff, and he was kicking off because people were celebrating too loudly during his press conference. Uh, He's talking to Marcus Buckland, and Marcus Buckland is one of Amazon Prime's presenters. And he said, uh, Buckland said something along the lines of, Oh, you go to Crystal Palace and your favourite kickoff time this weekend, don't you? To which Klopp just completely lost his rag like a knob 
And he was like, oh, that's really brave of you to make a note about that. Obviously, he's got a German accent, so let's just pretend. But it's, it's really brave of you to make a joke about that. Uh, you know, we're going to go home. Don't know what time we're going to get home. We, we'll get the, probably like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. tonight. And then we've got to play again. We've got some sessions of training. Uh, you, you know, you, you get it. Why should I explain it again? Football's entertainment. You're just making a completely ignorant joke and you've been really disrespectful. You're like, what the fuck is going on? The guy, I, he just winds me up with his turkey teeth. I can't, can't stand him. I feel like being a little bit severe on Jürgen there. I mean, he, there's no doubt he has days where he loses his rag unnecessarily. I think even as a Liverpool fan, I would be the first to uh, comment on that and not deny it. Um, but equally, he's one of the people that I would say reminds me of me in that he doesn't take well to morons. So if some thing. if someone asks me a moronic question, I'm going to call them out and say, that's a fucking stupid question. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't think there's an, necessarily an issue with responding in that manner if you get asked a really stupid question. He's so a football manager. He, he's, he's paid a significant amount of money to field these questions. It wasn't even a question. It was just a, a little jibe. Like, well, why oh, should you, just because he's paid a lot of money, why should you have to deal with idiots? Because that's the job. It's like saying, as a footballer, why should you have to deal with shit referees? Because it comes with the territory. It's never going to be 100% fantastic all the time. And if someone makes a little joke after winning 2-0 and you should be in good spirits, it shouldn't be like, you what? Who are you talking to? It's very disrespectful here. I've got to go home and I'm going to be tired in the morning. Grow up, Klopp. Grow up. Uh, uh, I mean, I hear what you're saying. And there's certain times he he definitely loses his rag more than he should. But he's a man that doesn't take any prisoners. And I've got respect for that. That If someone asks me a fucking stupid question and, you know, I'm going to give him a fucking stupid answer. I've got no problem. I, I don't. He's had far bigger the point you're making here, he's had considerably bigger tantrums or issues than um, he did in this match. Like that, that as, as, Klopp, as Klopp goes in terms of this, this was pretty minor, I would say. You just said you didn't see it. I haven't. Watch but... it and then you'll be like, oh no, you know what? I want him sacked. I want him sacked and I want Xabi Alonso in immediately because this guy is a knob. Xabi Alonso is the next manager, but I will never wish for Jürgen to be, to be sacked. And we'll come on to that. Sacked. But um, Weekend fixtures then. Um, Sheffield United, we've got to start with. I mean, real trouble when uh, you're getting dicked 5-0 by one of your biggest relegation rivals, Burnley. And obviously that led to Heckenbottom getting sacked. Wilder coming back in feels a bit like, I don't know about you, and this is probably a poor analogy, but right, I'm going to get married to a bird. I really hate her. She's made my life really shit. I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to marry someone else. I'm going to divorce her. Do you know what? I'm going to marry the other bird again. Like, I don't really see the benefit of getting Wilder back in. I don't feel yes he did very well at the time for Sheffield United and I don't think anyone could not deny that getting him back in the position they're in personally I don't feel was the right move now who else they could have got I I, I would completely agree maybe they had a limited number of options but 
they've been there. He got them sacked, or he nearly got pretty much got them relegated and got sacked. Bringing him back doesn't really feel like the right move for me personally. If I was a Sheffield United fan, it seems like a move into familiarity, doesn't it? it doesn't there's no long term planning, but there hasn't been any long term planning at that club since they've been promoted and they got promoted on a shoestring budget. Heckingbottom did fantastically for them to get them into that position because they shouldn't have been anywhere near promotion last season. As we've seen, there's no sentiment in football anymore. And, you know, they're struggling significantly at Sheffield United. And a change is probably the right time, if not possibly a little bit earlier. But there are other managers out there. Lopetegui, um, potentially. And you've got a lot of convincing to bring someone like him in. And we'll come on to another team who are very interested in him, who might be sacking the manager very, very shortly. But you've got to aim higher. And if you're looking to try and stay in the Premier League, I agree. I don't think Wilder's the right person for it. I don't want him to see, I don't want to see him do some sort of firefighting like a big Sam, because I think that's a waste of time. Didn't work at Leeds. It's not worked for the last few times that people have tried to bring in someone like Big Sam. But Wilder just seems to be, we'll bring you in. Fingers crossed you save us. If not, then I suppose we'll start planning for the championship next year after we've sold all those big players. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And and it's funny you mentioned Lopetegui because I did read and much respect to him that he turned down an offer of about £19 million a year to manage in Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure which team. I, I've got to be honest, I, I can't remember the team, but looking for another job. Um, he's too good for that job for me. He did a very, very in- incredible job at Wolves. I don't think you could convince him to take that job. Um, personally, I think he should. He, he is a better manager than that. And he's that type of... He's... Um, He's lurking uh, and a, 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 a mid-table team that might bounce. That Palace, you were talking to me earlier today about someone at Palace. Like, would Palace bounce Hodgson? Someone like Lopatelli for Palace, given that they've got some decent players, that would be a good move for him and a good fit. I think he's far too good for, for Sheffield United. And I'm not sure, no matter what, how much money you... Th- if you can't throw 19 mil at him to go and manage in Saudi... I don't feel that you could ma- you could pay him enough to manage at Sheffield United personally. I think it depends entirely on the project, though. So in terms of Saudi Arabia, we've discussed this in a significant amount of length that money doesn't really cut it. It's all about what you want to do in your career, whether you feel that the move to Saudi Arabia and to get all the money is going to be better, because I don't think it showcases your ability as a manager. It's why I was so deeply frustrated when we found out that Gallardo went over to Saudi Arabia because he is one of those that I thought was the next big thing. Whether he's just biding his time or not, I'm not sure. I don't really know what that's about. But one other team who are looking quite strongly at Lopetegui, or however you pronounce it, and I feel like we'll never get that name right. You can listen to it 15,000 times and it'll never be pronounced right. But Forrest, who are struggling significantly as Sheffield United are, still not in the relegation spots, um, partly because of the poor form of the teams below them. But obviously they got beat by you, 3-0, got uh, a win against Villa, unbelievably, um, in that thing, in that sort of 
uh, stretch of games. Your top, your your chat, your shout for top four. That's a great result, yeah, isn't it? Eh? The, which will come on to it. Uh, they lost against West Ham. They lost against Brighton. They lost against Everton. And this weekend, or this is it midweek? What well, it will last uh, yesterday, wasn't it? Um, Fulham absolutely destroyed them 5-0. So it feels like Cooper is on very, very borrowed time at this point in time. It seems like he's going to take charge against Wolves, but I get the feeling that a defeat against Wolves will spell the end of Steve Cooper at Forest. And then Lopetegu is uh, one of the managers that are on their radar. One of the things I would say about Forest, I think Forest, for the position that they're in compared to some of the other teams we've talked about, do have a very good squad. They have a surprisingly good squad when you look at them man for man. Um, I still think personally that job is below Lopetelli. I think he could do better than that. And if he hang, hung on a little bit longer, that there would be a better job he could go for. But if you actually break down their squad, and we, we're not, I haven't got it in front of me, but if you pulled up their squad now, man for man, they have a very, very good squad. And if they got the right manager and got them together co- co- cohesively, they could quite easily be a lower mid-table team and shouldn't really be involved in the relegation struggle. So that might be a shout and maybe he could be convinced in, in, in that project. But personally, I think he's a better manager than that. Well, this, you, I mean, you look at their squad, they've got that Danilo, uh, they've got Sangare, Hudson-Odoi, I think he's there this season, isn't he? Um, Gibbs the White. goal machine that's Divock, Divock Origi. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, they've still got um, a Woonie Ant there who used to play for you, who actually has been a goal machine for them. Both of them. Um, I mean, th- those two are decent strikers up front. That's a, that's a good, pe- you know, I'd say on paper, they have, a, they, have a, they have a pretty decent team. They're just not gelling, but... I feel like you're right, and I know we're skipping ahead a bit, but the 5-0 bashing at Fulham. Fulham are not a bad team, by the way, and we've said this before, that they are a a good team. But I feel like Cooper is on absolutely borrowed time, and a bad result at the weekend would not surprise me if he's done. Yeah. Liverpool are slowly trudging along, picking up the points when they need to pick up the points. Um, Slowly, in second... yeah, but you, as in, you're picking up the points, you're going under the radar a little bit, no one gives a fuck about Liverpool because they're a shit, horrible team. But, um, big result against Fulham, in which they very, very nearly threw it away. Um, big very, result. Big, great game, great game for the neutral, I would have said. Not so great as a Liverpool fan watching. <laughs> going 3-2 um, down. N- yeah, nearly threw it away. I mean, I know you... Love to bash Nunes. Nunes had a, an absolutely outstanding chance at th- at two all to go uh, three two up, which I think if that had gone in, it would have sealed it and made it easy. And he crashes it against the bar, and then out of nowhere, um, Endo smashes one in as a big one, um, and we get the end. We've just got to mention um, what I mean. What a goal from McAllister! What a goal! Apart from. Garnacho's overhead kick, which was, I think, the week before. Those two have to be the two best goals of the season so far in the Premier League for me. Yeah, I mean, Garnacho's got it wrapped up. There, there isn't any competition in terms of the goal of the season unless something outstanding happens. Even goals as good as McAllister's. And if you haven't seen it, definitely take a look at it because the audacity to take a strike from where he does... Considering... I'm shouting at the TV. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the... No, what the fuck are you doing? And then... Bam! Hits it outside the boot, curls into the top corner. It was a screamer and it was a great match. And 
again, it's one of those matches for me that we didn't play our best. We kind of almost did our best to throw it away. Two late goals to save it, which, and again, I'll come on to this when we talk about the result last night against uh, Sheffield United, but we are getting results when we're not playing that well. Now, we've had this discussion. You keep taking the piss out of me. That is the sign of champions. And that's what champions do is they win matches when they're not playing well. That's not to say we're going to be champions this year, but we are absolutely in that race. And those two games prove for me that we've got the resilience when we need to dig deep to win games when we're not playing very well. I like to always say that I am I am optimistic about Leeds, but I also would like to say that I am not biased or... Uh, and I keep myself grounded when it comes to it. I feel like talking to you about Liverpool when they win is one of the most ridiculous conversations you can ever have with a football fan, ever. Yeah, I'm just looking at the text that you, you sent to me. So I sent you a message, which I won't repeat the full message because there's expletives and we're a family-friendly podcast. Um, but I sent you a message yesterday saying, Nunes is shite. Um, and you replied... Well, he's better than Bamford, so fuck off. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And then the next message, good win if we grind this out, champions result. And a 1-0 win at the time, it was, and obviously it ended up 2-0, um, to Chef United is not a champions result. I get the point that you're making, that you are not playing well and you've still won, but you didn't play well against Luton and you didn't win. So it doesn't. All, it's not always been consistent this season for Liverpool. And... They are games that you have to win. They've only won one game all season, Sheffield United. Ironically, the only time that I've bet against them. So that's probably why. So you should be going to them. And the the worst Liverpool team should be beating the best Sheffield United team at this point in time. There, there shouldn't be any competition. And the fact that it was close isn't indicative of a champions team. It's the opposite. You should be putting them away. And with a striker like Nunes, you're not going to be able to do that. One, he didn't start, so you've got to take that into account. But two, you can't play your best football every game. And particularly when you've got midweek. And but we, I think we've got nine games in 27 days or something like that. So you're talking a, a, a massive compressed fixture list that no matter what we say, and as he says, normal people, we sit here and say, on 100 grand a week, you should be able to play that. It's not a problem, you know, fitness levels, et cetera, et cetera. That takes it out of players. But to grind out, to come back in the Fulham game and grind out what we did yesterday in terms of Sheffield United, I don't disagree in the slightest that we should be spanking them 5-0 given how they're doing. However, equally, you say that. Were you not the person that pointed out to me earlier in the week about the new manager bounce and, oh, who have you? who's the new manager bounce got? They've got Liverpool. They did get a new manager bounce. They did actually play some quite nice football. I thought they they were compact. They had a few chances. Kelleher in the the first half made a very good save, uh, which could have, if we'd gone 1-0 down, could have been slightly different. But the point I was trying to make is that is the sign of a team that is going to be champions, are winning games when they're not playing very well. And six points against those two teams, which we should easily get, I don't disagree with, but we haven't played very well, is a very good sign. That's my point. 
So why have you put the Arsenal very lucky to have beaten Luton through a 4-3? Is that not a Champions result? That is a Champions result. And it also makes a mockery of the point you made to me about Liverpool fucking up against uh, Luton because uh, Luton, we at least uh, were only ever 1-0 down and we pulled it back to equalise. They were 3-2 down. And in terms of lucky, Rice scored in the 97th minute of six minutes added on time. So they got very, very lucky. And had that not happened there, they would have drawn with Luton, which would have been exactly the same result that Liverpool did. So I feel didn't. like you, but they you didn't. look at it like, but they didn't because they got an extra fucking minute from the referee. <laughs> so if we're talking apples and pears, then there's, there's, you know, there's an argument there that there's a very similar point. And Luton at home, as much as they are shit, we're not saying that, they are proving better. They're not getting the results that, you know, that that's clear, but they're making teams work hard to beat them. I think that would be fair to say. They they play a brand of football that is ugly to watch, but can be effective. And the fact that, as you say, Arsenal went behind and had to win in a minute of extra time that shouldn't have been added on, they got lucky there. But I would 100% agree with you. That is a, another prime example of what I'm suggesting, which is, that's a champion's result, winning when you're not playing very well. You are the easiest man to wind up in the history of football. Literally. So obviously people can't say this, but he is seething. <laughs> Look well angry. I'm going to fucking <laughs> choke your ass out at the Christmas party. But, no, no. Uh, but for both teams, both both teams should be very happy, should feel fortunate, but should feel both fans, Liverpool and Arsenal, should be very happy with that. That that that, as you say, that that is games that you are winning when you're not playing well. You put that as a a comparator to, let's say, um, Man City, and I know we'll come on to this. And your high predictions of Villa, they played very poorly yesterday, Man City, and they lost. A champion, a team that's going to, you know, and there's nothing to say that they won't still probably end up as champions, but. A champion's result there would be on the end of a hiding in terms of the stats, and we'll come on to that as well, but they would have found a way to have got a point or win. So for Liverpool and Arsenal fans in those two games, even though they're games that you would absolutely expect them to win and they should be winning very comfortably and by more goals than they did, are a good sign. That's the point I'm making. I'm not saying beating Sheffield United 2-0 with one goal in the last minute it, it is the sign of a champions that is the, that is the that that's what you need to win the championship and when get results when you're playing poorly and grind something out and both arsenal and liverpool did that this week whereas man city didn't i mean i i would Accept that to a degree, and I think you caveat it quite well in terms of they'll probably go on and win it anyway, and City will. Um, but what I would say is Villa are continuing to impress. They have been on an outstanding run of form and under Emery, and this might be something that Arsenal fans might have to consider is potentially uh, an issue that they have had that's gone now, but they didn't back him to a certain degree with Emery. Is he just that good of a manager? Because he's turned this Villa team into 
you know, potentially against relegation, mid-table at best, to challenging top four, and they don't look out of place at all. They completely played City off the park yesterday. Wasn't, as you say, just a lucky win. It wasn't scrappy, oh, we've won, we'll defend for um, 90 minutes. It was Villa had 22 shots or something like that against City's two, and City's two shots were in the same sequence. It happened within sort of three seconds of each other. So it wasn't as though they even had a counter-attack. And I predicted at the very beginning that Villa would be a top four team. I'm sticking by that prediction, and I still think that will be the case. I still think City will win the league, by the way. I don't think that that'll, that'll change anything. But it's made the appetite even wetter for this Saturday at 530 uh, it is on, um, so just before we go, in fact, around the time that we're going to Christmas too, so we can have a watch that in a pub, because it's Villa versus Arsenal at Villa Park. So Which that's the game of the... be a really good test for yeah. Villa to see how both. far they've come, for, for, for both of them. And yeah. again, from a Liverpool point of view, we want to draw uh, there, because... Um, Obviously, again, yeah. you want the teams around. You want the teams around you to draw. We're away uh, at lunchtime, kickoff to Crystal Palace. They've slid off a little bit of a cliff at the moment. If we beat Crystal Palace, we'll go top. Arsenal and Villa draw. We've got a better goal difference than Arsenal at the moment. We would stay top. So for me, I'm looking for a draw in that. But the only point, just to come back to your, your Villa point, I think the difference. If I had to break it down would be I'm not quite so sure Arsenal fully backed Emery, which I think was 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 yeah. a mistake, whereas Villa have. So some of the signings he's made, Pau Torres, absolutely amazing centre back, has been known for years at Villarreal and should have gone to a better team than Villa probably. Uh Moussa Diaby when he was at Leverkusen, banging him in, looking a right signing. You know, he, he, he's he gone out and he's he's got Douglas Lewis um, playing like maybe the best defensive midfielder in the league. Like you know, prime Calvin Phillips? No, like a prime <laughs> Fabinho. Um, but like a prime Rodri. You could argue at the moment, the way that Lewis is playing, he's up there with Rodri in terms of the best defensive mids in the league. And I saw a, a, a lot of teams, including Arsenal, weirdly when they've got Rice being linked with him, Villa have put a £110 million price tag on Lewis. And that's crazy, but that's how well he's playing. And I feel like that's the difference. As you say, he he didn't do very well at Arsenal. He got a lot of stick. He did very well. He rebuilt his career at Sevilla, was it, he went to, if I'm not mistaken, afterwards. And he's then come to Villa. Um, but Villa have backed him. And he is absolutely proving that that backing is deserved and the signings he's made have been phenomenal, integrated into a team of some pretty decent players anyway. Um, Martinez is probably one of the top five keepers in the league. You've got Watkins, is a very underrated striker. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Leon Bailey, uh, starting to show the form that he showed at Leverkusen. T- taken a while to get there, but very, very good player. There's your, I'm not going to say him because I think he's dog shit, but your boy McGinn, the super hard man in midfield. But um, Villa have a decent team. The the only thing I would say, the, the only criticism I would say about Villa is I would call them in the nicest possible way, a better Brighton in this season in that 
they are very, very good, but they still have a very bad result in them. And I'm sure if we look at, I'm sure the couple of results that they haven't gone their way have been against teams that you would have expected them to do far better than. They've done very well against the big teams. Lost against Forest. Exactly. Again, if you're going to get top four, you want to be beating Forest. So you'd want to be beating Luton as well, wouldn't you? Really? Yeah, you would. Not drawing one all with them. Um, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I think you're wrong. I think you need a Villa winning that, surely, because I, Villa aren't going to be challenging for the title realistically, and you want to be starting to hopefully build a gap as a Liverpool fan at the top. So the more points Arsenal and City drop, who are going to be your biggest challengers, the better. Uh, we've got to come on and talk about City, and we've got to talk about Man United as well, unfortunately, but. City are going through a very rough period. They're winless in four. Now, obviously, those games that they've played. In oh, no. Four. Winless in four. Yeah. <laughs> but, you're talking about a bad period. That's crazy when you're talking about that yeah. in a bad period, isn't it? Well, it's like one last season when Haaland hadn't scored in like a game. And they're like, Three oh, games. Oh, yeah. no, it's a goal drought. And it was one of those where they were like, all oh, right, he's... Uh, He's knackered now. He's not good enough. He's he's gonna fail. He's never gonna score again. And then obviously goes another run. So that's where we are with City at this point in time. Four games uh, without a win. One of them is a loss and three draws. Those games have been very difficult. They've had Chelsea. They've had Spurs. Uh, were you one of them? Were you the other one? The draw uh, against two. Sorry, City. Uh, yeah, we drew. Uh, we drew. You're, didn't not, you're not listening. You're not not concentrating on me. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and then obviously Villa uh, had recently beaten, and it'll only take one or two uh, bits and pieces, and they'll go back on a streak. Rodri's obviously back in the next game, and as soon as De Bruyne comes back early next year, you would expect that they'll pick up again. But unbelievably, the main point to raise is that despite everything that's happened this season for both Man United and Manchester City, and the praise that Man City have got, and the criticism that Man United have got. Man United are only three points behind Man City and Ten Hag has been threatened with the sack by the press. He's been threatened by the sack with the fans. It's not working, et cetera, et cetera. But all it takes is it's one or two weeks because of the significant goal difference. But two weeks and all of a sudden Man United are above City. Like, what, what's going on? It's threatening to be one of the most exciting Premier League seasons in years, finally. It, it, it is mental because Man U appear... From the outside, certainly from, again, obviously I've got bias. I'm not going to pretend that I don't, but they appear to be doing shit. And you think, God fucking hell, how has Hampton Hag got his job? He's got to be close to getting sacked. There's all these rumours came out this week that he'd lost the dressing room and et cetera, et cetera. But you're spot on. They're, they're three points off City. Um, they just are very, very quietly going about their business and doing very well which is, you know, in, in, impressive in itself. I mean, I think it's also indicative of the fact of how close the league is. So we've said this, that it's a very close league, so that makes it easier. But, um, yeah, you can't not be impressed by what what they're doing, considering they're not in any way, shape or form playing very well. Um it, I mean, we'll, it, we'll see. It's, it's it is impressive. Baffling. Yeah, it's baffling. It's impressive at the same time. Um, but I mean, who knows? Who knows what happens later? 
Um, I mean, the only other one I've got, I mean, as you say, it's, it's, the, it's the, definitely the best. I mean, Newcastle are playing tonight, so we'll have to see how that result, that's just kicked off. But it's definitely the best league for uh, for a number of years. You've got 10 points cover Arsenal in first to Newcastle in seventh. So if Newcastle win today and get three points against Everton, which you think they might do, then um, that closes that and makes it a little bit even more exciting. Um, moving on, I, I had a question for you. It's going a bit bit off track and a bit bit wild here, but I, I've seen a lot going on recently and I've been paying a lot of attention. So um seems to be a lot of young, good young managers at the moment, very, very doing a very impressive jobs in across um across the world in different leagues. When I say young managers, I'm gonna qualify that by saying under 45. I've got my top three. Um, question for you. Name me your top three young up-and-coming managers at the moment. Ooh. I've got to make a mention of Alonso, and I know he's on your list as well. Um, the, the form that Leverkusen have been in this season is outstanding, and the team that he's got, while they're certainly not the worst team in the world, they're also certainly not the best. So he's turned them into title contenders. He's turned them into a serious force in Europe. And I know that you're wanting him to be the next Liverpool manager, ideally. But I get the feeling that he might end up at Real Madrid, unfortunately. Um, at Ruben Amorim. Just on that, I'm, I'm just, 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 I, just only because I'm not trying to cut in. I, I agree with you. He's my number one, by the way, Xavi Alonso. Leverkusen, and if you look across his career as a manager... 156 games he's managed, 76 wins. So he's got a win rate of 48.72%. So he has, you know, he's, he's got work to do. But as you say, the transformation from Leverkusen this year, and without any doubt whatsoever, if Lurgan, Jurgen left tomorrow, I would throw the fucking kitchen sink at getting uh, Xavi back in as manager for me. So you're number two. Uh, Ruben Amarim is my number two, and uh, it's obviously sporting. Um, I, I feel like I've got to mention him because he's what the fourth. I think he's the fourth most valuable coach in history because he was um, technically bought. Uh, there was a transfer fee exchanged uh, when Sporting took him up of ten million euros or something along those lines. Uh, obviously, former manager of the year back in 2021 of the Premier League. Uh, he, he is outstanding. I'm surprised he hasn't ended up at Wolves with that Portuguese connection, whether that happens in the future, um, when they pick up back in form, hopefully, eventually. Might still, but I get the feeling that he's destined for a top job. I, I just don't see a little, little bit of Alonso. He's gone under the radar a little bit more this season, but I still think that he is almost certainly going to end up at one of the top teams in Europe. He makes my honourable mentions. He's 38. I haven't got his stats, but he makes my honourable mentions. Uh, my number two is Arteta, 41. Uh, 203 games managed as a manager. Won 119. So out of my three, he has the best win percentage, which is 58.62%. feel like you can't not mention a young manager doing well without mentioning Arteta. Yes, he has a big budget. Yes, he's a big team. And yes, he has a good squad, but still has to be in that conversation for me. 
my last one then. Um, I'm stuck. I'm torn. I, I would have said before this season, Iriola, who is currently at Bournemouth. Um, he's 41. Doing a fantastic time. job at the moment. But that that's the point. So he started horrendously at this season with Bournemouth. But they are getting into form, slowly but surely. And they're looking a much better outfit. They're looking more compact. And he's a Bielsa disciple. So I, I get that little bit of uh, bias towards him. But I'm going to have to stick with the other one that I'm going to choose. And that's Arna Slot at um, Feyenoord. Obviously, Spurs, very, very interested and rumoured to have approached him. Um, he also apparently could have gone to Chelsea was one of the, the rumours that's come out in the last week. I think uh, it said that Todd Bowley had tried to speak to him and was unable to tempt him to go to Chelsea, so they settled on Pochettino instead, um, which doesn't really bode well for Pochettino or for, for Chelsea because if you've been rejected by a manager or an up-and-coming manager as a, a club at the size of Chelsea have been, then you start to look internally and start to wonder what's wrong with it. But Arneslot has been outstanding. Um, he's almost certainly going to go to a bigger club. Obviously, there was the Spurs links. That's probably not going to happen now. I don't know where he's going to go. I don't think he'll come to the Premier League immediately. But obviously, he's been rumoured with two Premier League jobs in the last year, them being Leeds, who apparently was very interested in, in joining before we were relegated, and Spurs. And obviously, now uh, Chelsea has just come out as a third link. But yeah, they're my three. My third, I've gone for um, Will Steele. I know a big fan you are a big fan of him or were you didn't seem quite so much of a big fan when we discussed this earlier uh obviously uh only 31 at reams 70 games he's managed for them with 34 wins so uh, no he's not in the greatest league but for a pretty shit team like that having a win percentage of 48.57 percent i think is very impressive um and i think he you mentioned to me, I didn't know this, that Sunderland were interested in him. He should tell Sunderland to fuck off and wait for a far better job than that. Um, the only other honourable mention I had, you've nailed, was Arnie Slot. And um, I think him, I think he, he he also comes across Slot as a very clever person in that he's had job offers Everybody knows that the Tottenham job is cursed because you're dealing with Levy and that you're going to get limited time, you're going to get a limited you're budget. You're going to become Spursy constantly. Exactly. It's not a sensible move if you're making that step up. Um, Leeds, no disrespect to Leeds, but at the time it was offered to him, it wasn't exactly in a great position. Would have been I the worst move of his career. Yeah, I, I, I get the feeling he's a little bit more on the ball than that and he's waiting for the right move but I definitely rate him as a very very good manager and I think if he gets the right opportunity uh, a Wolves a someone like that that have got a few good players that he could mould and turn into his I mean what he's done with Fireneuid is incredible taking him from pretty much mid-table he's made some amazing signings he's the type of manager that strikes me as well would wherever he goes he will absolutely pilfer the Fionoid team. So for a start, they've got a fantastic young Mexican striker called Jimenez, um, who banging the goals in for fun. I guarantee you wherever he goes, he buys him. Uh, they've got a few other young 
uh, Dutch players that I get the feeling he would take as well. So I get the feeling he's he's built that team in his own image, and wherever he goes, he's gonna take two or three at least finite players with him as well. Ian, you're never too old. Never too old. I know um, this. <laughs> what I was gonna say to you is you can take great pride and pleasure in my next story. Um because the world's oldest welterweight has uh, had his first ever fight. Um, Scott England, this is. It took place at the Trobador Theatre in Nashville, Tennessee. It was uh, December the 5th, and welterweight boxer Scott England made his pro debut at the age of 58 against Jashwan Hunter. Um, Can I take a guess in... that he lost? <laughs> Wait. No spoilers here, Ian. Uh, 58-year-old, he obtained a boxing license and competed in his first professional bout. Despite And the got laid out have, in a minute. He <laughs> doesn't have any type of amateur boxing background. Um, he's a former radio DJ turned news anchor, uh, turned country music writer. So he's had a fantastic career. He's had a fantastic life. He's a young boxing fan. He wrote a letter to Muhammad Ali and apparently... Had a friendship with Hamid Ali. Um, anyway, he got stopped in the first round and he got flattened. And people in the crowd were asking the referee to stop it earlier because apparently it was just horrible to watch. Um, it was just a poor old man getting beaten up. From everything you've just said about that story, that has not an ounce of surprise in me that that's exactly how that was going to end. <laughs> well, I'm, all I'm saying is, if you wanted to take up boxing... Um, you know, you could put the tapping up logo on Fuck your shorts. you, motherfucker. I got 17 <laughs> years on that old cunt. I could fucking lay out a few motherfuckers before that. Yeah, I, I, maybe I will. <laughs> um, there is actually real boxing this weekend as well. Um, we've got two fights to cover. We'll very quickly cover the English fight because it's not really as important. It's, well, arguably, obviously, unless you're from Bournemouth, as one of us is. Um, it's not really going to get much attention. Uh, it's Chris Billum-Smith. CBS. <laughs> he is fighting Matthias Masternak, uh, who is a 36-year-old boxer. He's not 58. Uh, 47 and 5 record, which you heard that right. This guy has had 52 fights at 36 years old. It's for the WBA Cruiserweight title. He's, of course, returning. Uh, this is CBS returning to his hometown in Bournemouth for the first time ever as a world champion. Uh, he is defending the championship that he won from Loris Akole in the worst fight of the year in the Vitali Stadium in May. Um, it's a Sunday night, and it's. I think the ring walks are due at 10 o'clock. I said to Ian earlier that I would not rest until I found out why it was on a Sunday night. And I did, in in fact, find out why it's on a a Sunday night. Can you ever guess why? Uh, No, please elaborate. I know it's at the infamous BIC, which is the Bournemouth (laughs) International Centre. Where everyone wants to fight. Uh, we thought it might be to originally to do with Bournemouth playing, but then we checked and it wasn't that. So, no, I have no idea why it's at that time. It is to do with Bournemouth playing, but we thought it was to do with Bournemouth being at home and therefore uh, they didn't want to clash with it. 
it's in fact because Bournemouth are playing on the Saturday to allow uh, at Manchester United. So they've got to go up north to the you know the dreaded north where we live, um, and it's to allow his hometown fans to get back home from Bournemouth. And if they were staying over, for example, to give them additional time to get home to come and watch him, which I think is absolutely nonsense, personally, because not every Bournemouth fan is going to go watch this at the BIC. Every single fucking person going to watch that match against Man U is getting the train home. I guarantee no one's staying in the shithole of Manchester to stay and watch that. (laughs) So that is a ridiculous reasoning for said fight. But um, so be it. I mean, like, I, I agree with you. It's a ridiculous time on a Sunday to stay up for uh, when we've got work on Monday. Um, however, ring walk at 10, I can deal with. Much later than that, I'll turn it off. If if, if I can watch, you know, the ring walk's at 10 and the fight's going to be done at that point, I'll stay up. Goes much past that. I'm I'm not that interested, but... He's not a great fighter, is he? Let's be fair, CBS. I like him. Obviously, he's from not my hometown. I, as much as I grew up in Bournemouth, um, I didn't. I wasn't born there. I just lived there the majority of my my childhood. So I am clearly a CBS fan. Um, but to stay up on a Sunday night with work the next day is not that appealing to me. Uh, if it's going to be a late one, I'm old school as well. I, I like weirdly. When it comes to UFC or it comes to boxing, don't know what it is about um, professional and physical sports of that of that ilk. But I like to have a drink while watching them. I feel more comfortable having a nice pint while watching someone get their head kicked in. It's not the same for for football or other sports like that. Don't get me wrong; everyone likes to go down the pub and watch it with the mates. But it just doesn't feel right to watch a boxing match but not drink. So. I'll and on a Sunday, it's just, it's just not, exactly. uh, it's just, as you say, it's just strange, as you say, it possibly makes an, a, a remote element of sense if that's why they've done it because of the, the man you thing. But I still think that's bollocks. They could have done that on the Saturday night. Um, so, uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, I don't e- equally get the feeling that as many people that are Bournemouth fans are CBS fans as well. So I don't know if it would have That's affected the crowd as yeah. much as they're trying to make out. It's it's the same. It's also very similar to Josh Warrington and Leeds fans, isn't it? Uh, majority of Josh Warrington fans are Leeds fans, but not every Leeds fan is a Josh Warrington fan. So it doesn't work like that. And, and I don't really personally understand why they would do that. Um, I get that the few people who potentially are um, wouldn't want to miss it. But like you say, are you really going to go to Manchester and get a hotel or are you going to do like every other football fan and just get the train down and complain about how ridiculous the trains are because trains in England are garbage? Um, the main I mean, you fight, can even drive oh, Bournemouth to Manchester. I mean, it's not a great drive. I'm not going to lie and say it's a fucking that. good drive, but that, that's a that's a four hour drive. If you fight, if it, the, it's a 3 p.m. kickoff. You know, you drive, you watch the match, you can get back, you can be back, you could be back in time for that for, for the for the CBS fight if they put it on a little bit later on the Saturday, which I'm sure far more people would be interested in than having it on uh, a Sunday night. But um or here's an idea fucking move the the Bournemouth match to the Friday night kickoff. 
good luck trying to convince the Premier League to do anything that you say for any other sports they have, especially when it comes to um, them being shown on TV or whatever it might be and scheduling. They, they don't really care. But when it's Sky, sport. this is a Sky for both, isn't it? So it's Sky that have got the Bournemouth match, I think. And it's Sky, it's a boxer event. So it's Sky for the boxing. So it doesn't seem to quite tally up that they wouldn't necessarily at least have that chat. If one's on BT Sport and the other's on Sky, I kind of understand it to a degree. But if they're both on Sky, just fucking sort it out. But they're not, are they? Because it's three o'clock kickoff. So it's it's not going to be on TV. Well, not on TV in the UK anyway. It'll be uh, overseas. So it, it's not necessarily for Sky to get involved with. It's just the Premier League in general. Uh, but moving on, because again, CBS... Uh, oh, predictions for that, by the way, very quickly. CBS to spark CBS, him out. CBS uh, within the distance. Not sure what yeah. round, but KO in the later rounds. Agreed, agreed. Um, we have an actual big fight. And that's uh, Devin Haney and do you want to try and pronounce his name? Pagraeus? Um Regis. I'm just going to call him by his first name. <laughs> Regis. First name Regis. turns. Regis. Me, me and my boy um, Regis. It is Devin Haney moving up. Obviously, he was uh, undisputed and is now moving up to challenge for the WBC title. Um, it's a really strange division and... We had a look at the or what the weight is classified as. Some call it the junior welterweight and some call it the super lightweight division. I, I'm not entirely sure why that is. I, I can't profess to know or that my bollock, boxing bollocks knowledge, boxing knowledge um, progresses. You've got a lot of bollock knowledge, length. you know that. <laughs> Someone's mouse at work does. Um, anyway, the WBO and IBF, I believe it is, are the junior welterweight, and I think the WBA and the WBC titles are the super lightweight titles. It's the exact same weight. I don't believe there's any issues whatsoever in terms of slightly different, but they just seem to try and differentiate it and call it different aims to be unique, I suppose. Um, I mean, Haney wins this, doesn't he? Easily for me. Got a win for me. I think he wins it relatively easily. Um, I've made a quick note of um, the other title holders in the junior welterweight or super lightweight uh, division, whatever you want to call it. Um, and realistically, there's there's none stand out apart from one. This, as you say, is for the WBC. Uh, w, WBO champion is Teofimo Lopez. Definitely be interested in seeing Haney Lopez. I think that would definitely be a fight that would sell uh, and I'd be interested in. IBF champ is Subriel Mathias. Never even heard of him. Uh, and the WBA champion at the same weight is Rolando Romero. So um, Haney, obviously, on his quest to go up through the weights. And I think he can definitely go up through a few more weights yet before he hits that, hits that peak. Um, but surely the next fight, if he wins this, is Tiafimo Lopez. Both decent records, to be fair. Uh, Regis is 30-1, and one, um, and Haney is 30-0. So, you know, 60 fights between and one loss, clearly no joke, but equally massively padded records as well. That It's not like either of them have fought huge uh, names over and over. But um, should be a good fight. Um, 
I'm going Haney all day. I've got to be honest. Yeah, and, and Haney will win this. I'm I'm quite confident in saying that. He obviously can't look past good pal Regis of yours um, because he's obviously looking to become a, a, a world champion in second weight class. You can never overlook any world champion. It doesn't matter if it's... Um, we were talking about how people in the heavyweight division became the champions and we talked about what AJ had to do to win his, talked about what Wilder had to do to win his and then Fury um, had to do to win his. But either way, you're beating a world champion and, and that's what he has to look at this fight uh, on this Saturday night. Uh, he's a betting favourite, as you would expect. He was asked specifically about what his next steps would be, regardless of the fact that obviously we've just said uh, don't look past this fight. He's obviously held all four belts at 135. He's moving up now. He's fought people like Loma um, in that lower division. And he was essentially asked, do you want to become undisputed at this weight as well, in the second weight class? And he said, no, I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in going for other titles. I want to be the, the champion in this weight. And then I look to other fights because... I've done that. I've, you know, I've been there, done that. I've become an undisputed champion. I now want to go after the money fights. The money fights that he had mentioned and the big money fight that he has said that he wants more than any of the others is Tank. So he wants to take uh, well, after As it. you say, obviously, the, for me, the obvious thing to do here is skip. I totally agree. If I was his manager, I would say, fuck being unified at this well this weight given the people we've just mentioned jump up to welterweight and obviously welterweight is where you start to get the bigger names the bigger fights and the bigger paydays where you've got the the guys that are going to generate some serious money and some serious interest in fights so that doesn't surprise me at all and that would certainly be how I would see it if he wins this he probably just vacates and goes straight up to welterweight and obviously at welterweight, you start to get a, a plethora of decent opponents that he could fight in terms of, you're talking about Tank, Garcia. aren't you there? Tank, Garcia, yeah, Garcia. you know, Max, there's, uh, there's, um, there's, there's the, the money fights, if that's what we're going to call them, are at least at welterweight. So I think Haney can easily move the way through those, um, put on a bit of mass, uh, and do that, and I certainly see him doing that. I don't see Regis putting up a particularly big challenge, if I'm honest. Big Regis. Poor bloke. Not even getting his second name or his full name. Um, the only other fight that I would want to see Haney take on at that weight, in all honesty, would be Lopez, because Lopez is a good fighter, but I still think he beats Lopez. So, um, yeah, step up, go up to welterweight after this take on whoever you want to take on um obviously you've got spence jr and um go from there really i mean that that that's a bold move when you jump in these you know haney's decent jump into a to a, a spence jr or a uh what's the other big world away that uh that, crawford. You know, the other two that, uh crawford you know that's that's a bit of a different level you know and he probably needs a few more fights before he's ready for those two guys but um, that if he if he's talking pure money fights, that that's what that's where the money's at for sure. Well, uh, I mean that's all for this week. It seems another long episode. Uh, my earphones died halfway through, which shows how long we've been talking about it this week. Um, well, you've got a nice easy night, haven't you? Mrs. is out for the uh, for the Christmas party, uh, her Christmas party, so she's off taking some D 
from uh, some guys from work. I imagine you're off to uh, grab a little bit of food and probably knock one out. I would guess. Uh, well, I mean, I, I hope she's not because I've got to pick her up later. So I don't really fancy picking her up than some burly bloke who gets it back in my car. I'm like, oh, who are you? Steve. Oh, right, okay. just, um, just smash your missus in. Get, she said, you, you <laughs> give me a lift home. All right. Fair uh, enough, uh, Steve. Uh, 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 okay, then. Uh, you know, where, where are we going? Um, yeah. I mean, Christmas party is the one to look forward to. I'm sure that you're very excited for that and nothing will possibly go wrong. No, yeah, and you've obviously got a, a, a nice little day to enjoy to yourself tomorrow to get ready for the Christmas party, a little lay-in, uh, pussying out, taking a day off on a Friday, leaving leaving a brother to uh, work all on his own in the office. So uh, I'll be grinding out two people's jobs again, as usual, uh, at the moment, while you uh, sit at home, um, flashlight in hand. The amount of times you mention me wanking is is getting concerning, I'll be honest with you. I feel like we've got our own intervention soon. Um, An intervention (laughs) on to stop you wanking so much, I think, is the intervention, not on me mentioning it. Just try to end the episode and you just keep talking about me wanking. I just literally, anyway, as I said, on that note, thank you very much for listening. And as always, we'll speak to you next week. 